yeah, it was definitely me. Um, I had it muted, so <clears throat> sorry about that. I apologize. I thought I clicked it one way and I clicked it the other. So welcome to the second service here at Lindsay Lane North. We're super glad that you decided to join with us and came with us today. So I was telling the first service, they got a special treat because it's a graduation recognition time, and we did that in the second service, so I had to allow time for it, right? So the first service was a little shorter, and they got out quicker, so if you chose to come to this one, sorry, you picked wrong, right? You should have came to the first service, and you'd have been out of here at 10.05 when we were rolling, right? So uh, anyhow, you'll still get out of here a little bit quicker because it's me, not Alan, so that's always a good thing, and uh, we'll, we'll move on, but... Uh, <laughs> no, don't leave yet. Uh, all right, so we'll do this. Here's what I always do. Y'all know me, right? I know uh, Will just prayed, but I have to do this for myself. I like to get myself ready. So y'all can all stare at me while I do it, or you can pray with me. It's totally up to you, but I prefer it if you bow your head and pray with me, all right? <clears throat> God, thank you again for this time to be able to come into this place, Father. This time to be able to just join together with you, uh, and, and have you speak your word, God. Have you share what you've laid on my heart. And Father, I just pray that today, God, you begin to move in this place. God, you hide me behind the cross. You fill me, God, and, and cover me with your blood, God. Remove everything that's within me that's not of you and help this to be today. Uh, just your words coming out of my mouth. And just forgive me, God, and when I failed you. And you just take this moment, God, begin to soften our hearts, open our ears. And allow this to be something, God, where we fully grasp and understand exactly what it is that you have for us. And as always, if today, God, this morning in this service is the last time that you ever use me to present your gospel message, God, I pray that it is done in a way that is pleasing to you and that brings glory to you. God, and I just pray you do your will in this service and have your way. And thank you for your son, Jesus, and what he did for us in giving us this grace and mercy to be able to be here today. And we ask all this in his precious name. And everybody said, amen. All right, guys. So... With it being graduation Sunday, and we, we recognize our grads, I like to make sure that we take a, take a lesson, take some stuff that, we've, that, that God's showing me, and try to just work that into a way to help you guys, right? And everybody else, don't, don't panic, right? This, this sermon today, I believe, is for everybody. It's not just for our graduates. Now, I geared it towards you guys because I wanted it to be you're graduating, you're 18, you're about to go into the real world, you're about to have life hit you in the face. I want to help you see how to navigate that. But how this is applicable to everybody else, most of y'all in here besides the youngins, I get it. Most of you other ones are already past the age of 18. You're already in the workforce. You're already having life hit you in the face. And I'm going to teach you a better way to make sure you're working through that as well. Right? So what we're going to talk about today is how you leave a legacy. And when I think about leaving a legacy... I think about what people are going to remember of me, right? What, what people are going to look at me like and what they're going to remember of, of how I acted, how I behaved, how my life was lived. For me, there's several people that I'm going to leave a legacy with. One, I'm assuming I'm going to die before my wife, just an assumption. Um, y'all will hear more about that later. It almost happened yesterday, right? She was this close to killing me. But um, <laughs> first service people know what I'm talking about. So... I plan to leave her a little bit of a legacy, right? I want her to remember me in a certain way. Even if it's before I pass, I want her to remember her husband in a certain light. My two sons, Judah and Elijah, I want them to remember their dad in a certain light. What am I leaving them? What, what are they going to remember about me, and what are they going to be able to pass to their family? 
right? When I'm talking about a legacy, I'm talking about who you are as a person and how this world's going to remember you when they walk up to your grave and see your headstone. What do they remember you as? I'm going to give you the three points that we're going to walk through. I like to do that on the front end. That way you can kind of see where I'm tracking. It helps you follow me a little bit. So point number one that we're going to talk about is how you live a life that pleases. How you live a life that pleases. The second point is how you live a life that passes. Live a life that passes. And our third point we're going to talk about today is live a life that points. Live a life that points. So here in a second, we're going we're gonna to talk about some fun stuff. But beforehand, I did some reading and studying and, and thinking through this, and I got myself asking a question. To live a life that pleases, I need to find some people in the Bible that also live a life that please God, right? Let's find some examples. I found just a few times in Scripture where God actually said, so-and-so, I am pleased with you, or this is so-and-so in whom I am pleased, Right? So let's do a little Bible trivia. I did this with my wife and six-year-old yesterday, and they got them all wrong. So they're either really terrible spiritual people that I have not done a good job leading, or they're really hard questions, all right? So let's see which one it is. (laughs) So can anybody name, I picked three people. I found three in Scripture that God said they're pleased with them. Interaction time. Can anybody tell me one that you think God was pleased with? Memphis, let me have it. No. Good try. David was a man after God's heart, but God did not say he was pleased with David. Who else? No. Good try. There's no wrong answers, even though they're completely wrong. But you feel free. This is a safe space, all right? I will only make fun of you later on in the sermon when I get there. (laughs) Who else? Come on, give me some names. Let's talk about an easy one. Jesus. Okay, we've got somebody. Somebody said, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that's it. Um, Jesus is one of them. And you can see that in Scripture in... Matthew 17 and Matthew 3, God actually speaks verbally and says, this is Jesus, my son, in whom I am well pleased. Right? There's two more. Somebody take a guess. Wow. All right. Do what? Not Job. Nope. Nope. That's it. That's it. No, no, no. Keep trying. No. Okay. John the Baptist. No. Golly. All right, I'm going to tell you the, the easy one that I think Becca's trying to say. Enoch. Hello. Did everybody forget about Enoch? Right? Enoch was like the... F- <laughs> yeah, there's like three verses in the Bible about Enoch. Um, Enoch lived... He was like the fourth grandchild of Adam. Like, he's real early in the creation of the world. Uh, he lived to be 365 years old. But right there at the end of his life, Enoch is one of two people that didn't taste death. It says, God was so pleased with Enoch that he just disappeared. He just said, hey, man, you ain't going to die? Come on. And he just pulled him up to heaven with him. So that's pretty cool, right? And there's one more. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Thank staff. Oh, there it is. Okay, Moses, right? There, <laughs> there's a time in Scripture where the Israelites and Moses are getting led into something and they're having to travel and they're having to go. And Moses says, now, how are they going to know that we're your people? How are they going to know if you don't go with me? Will you go with me? And it's in Exodus 33, verse 17. It says, God said, I will do the very thing you asked of me because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. 
So very rarely in Scripture do we see God say he is pleased with people, but there are some where he does that. So how do you live a life that pleases God? How do you live a life that pleases God? It's by taking every example, every situation in your life and living it and doing it in a way that God has directed you to, right? He has said this is the correct way to behave. This is the correct way to act. This is the correct way that you need to, to live to please me. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about yesterday, how uh, <laughs> I definitely did not please the Lord yesterday, all right? <clears throat> how many of y'all have the new trash cans that Limestone County gave us? All right? How many of y'all hate the new cans that Limestone County gave us? Do y'all hate them because you're like me and I had two cans that handled my family's trash, but now I'm limited to one and I pay more and I don't have room for all my trash. Amen? Right? That's frustrating. That is very irritating and I don't have room. But <laughs> because we now are forced to use this one trash can, I had my other two trash cans, which were fantastic, great trash cans. I can't use. So they're tucked back along the way, just minding their own business. Well, a few months ago, if y'all remember, there was a really crazy, it's like back when tornadoes started coming through, there was a really crazy windstorm, rain, the whole thing. Like it was monsoon. Well, the lid on my little trash can blew up. No big deal, whatever. It completely filled with water, like to the brim. And there was one trash bag in that little can, one. A few months later, y'all tell me what started happening. Huh? That thing started getting a little bit of a stench to it. <laughs> and when I say a little bit of a stench, it was fermenting, right? It was pretty putrid. It was bad. I didn't realize there was one more trash can or one more trash bag in it. So my wife, being how awesome she is, says, hey, that thing's full. It's in the way, and it stinks, and you need to move it. And I said, yeah, you're right. I'll move it. That ain't moving. That thing is loaded. So I did the guy thing and was like, I'll worry about it later. <laughs> right? So I completely said, forget it. I can't move it. It's too heavy. Things loaded with water. Moving on. Yesterday I got a wild hair and I said, I'm going to take care of said trash can. That gummit, it stinks. It's getting on my nerves. I'm going to move it. So I did the only thing that I knew how to do. I took a drill and I drilled a hole in the bottom. And as soon as I drilled the hole in the bottom, the water starts gushing out. I was like, it's going to drain. Oh, that's worse coming out than it was sitting in. So then I started panicking a little because it's right there by my garage, and here comes a flowing thing of just putrid water. And I was like, this is terrible. This is not good. So I'm trying to think through it, and then y'all have lived life, right? We know what's coming. Here comes my little six-year-old. Hey, Dad, what you doing? Trying to move this trash can, man. He said, oh, that stinks. I said, I know. And then a few seconds later, here's mom. What are you doing? This is Lauren. And I was like, I'm trying to move the can. And she said, that is God awful. Get rid of it. Why did you do it here? Well, I start panicking a little, right? Because I'm like, I don't know why I did this. Uh, so I've got to fix it. So I was like, I'm going to move it because it's just pouring out. And when I went to do it, I pulled it back and all of it came out of the trash can onto me. And I was like, ugh. So I started getting even more mad and I was starting to get frustrated. And I was like, I've got to move this. And now I'm soaking wet and I stink and this is terrible. And she's going, why didn't you do this a long time ago? And I'm like, I don't know. Just stop. I'm like, leave me alone. So I, she was like, you've got to do something about it. I said, I know. So I grabbed it and I dumped it again and it came out on me and I was like, just own it. 
just do it. And I started pulling it, and I mean, this thing is loaded with water still. And I got it just on the edge of my concrete, and then I got it to the carport where there's rocks. Ding! I just dropped it. And out come all the water, all the trash, and instantly, you know what I hear? Why in the world did you just do that? Now the stink will never go away because it's right here beside the house. And I was like, I don't know. It was heavy. I don't know why I did it. And she started getting mad, right? My wife starts getting me the, you're screwing up royally over and over. Something's going to have to give. And then Judah's going, Dad, you shouldn't have dumped that thing. I'm like, I know, son. I got it. So out come the trash. Out comes the trash bag. And I go, well, there was a trash bag in there. Like I said, I found that out. So I was like, all right, I got to do something. And she's like, you're going to have to get rid of that stink. I said, I know. So I picked up the trash bag, and it's soaking wet with water, too. And I was like, I'm just going to put it back in the can. That's a great idea. All the trash laying on the thing. Stuff went on the side of the garage, and I was like, oh, no. So it was bad. And she went, and why did you just throw trash on the garage? And I looked at her, and I said, I didn't do it on purpose. If you would just get off me. Guys, you've been there. Women, you've been there. She said everything by saying nothing. She gave me that look like, you say one more word to me, especially in the tone that you just said it. And it's going down. Like, she, we had a stare off for about 30 seconds. No joke. And I was like, crap, I just screwed up, right? Like, not only did all this disaster happen, now I have smarted off to my wife. She's staring at me. And I'm staring at her going, how do I get out of it? And then Judah goes, Dad, you shouldn't have said that. And I said, I know, son. I got it. <laughs> and uh, she just went and started walking into the house. So what did I do? <laughs> I'm walking to the house with her. And Judah's going, Dad, you shouldn't have done that. Why'd you dump the trash? And I'm like, dude, I get it. I get it. I know. So through all this, I realized in that moment I smarted off to my wife. I lost my temper. I lost my cool. I didn't do things right. And it was all because what was supposed to be simple started going into chaos. Right? How many times in your life have you taken your normal daily life that was supposed to be simple and it starts off into chaos real quick? And it may not be that you spout off to your wife, but, but maybe you look and, and you don't handle it correctly and you spout off towards God. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, how about... Stuff doesn't go right. You're on the road, you're driving, you're minding your own business. Some things start happening, stuff doesn't get right. You got some little punk that cuts you off, and then he shortchanges you, he brake checks you, and before you know it, you're mad, you're livid, you're late, and you start mouthing at the dude. Maybe you give him the one up, you know, like, yeah, forget you guy, cussing at people. You lose your cool real quick, right? If we're going to talk about living a life and leaving a legacy that pleases God, You've got to take every situation, every moment in your life that you can, and you've got to do your best to live it the way that Christ would. That is difficult. That is hard. I can tell you just from trying to move a trash can full of water how you can go from everything's fine to stepping into stupid real quick. And that was with my wife. How easily do we take our spiritual life that's supposed to be fine and we step into stupid real quick. Colossians 1.10 puts it this way. Then, by the way you live, you will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. 
then by the way you live, you will honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. So in every situation, it's telling me, if I'm going to please God, if I'm going to make God happy like Jesus did, like Moses did, like Enoch did, if I'm going to live to please the Lord, I have to do it in every situation. My life has to bleed Jesus. Well, how do you do that? When you go to work and you're in your, your job or you're at school or maybe you're just in your home with your family, how do you please God in every situation? How do you make God the center of your conversations? How do you make God the center of your life so that in everything you do, you start to please him? I can tell you, I can give you an example. There is a lady at work, and I'm not doing this to toot my horn. It's because we've had conversations through our staff meetings that actually led me to this. There is a lady at work who works for me, and I am her supervisor, and we're working through stuff. And as we're working through it, she's causing me a lot of grief. She's, she's having some major issues. She's not doing the job right. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, sometimes she doesn't show up. Big, big to do. And in trying to help her, I bring her into my office and we're talking about it. And I took two hours and we worked through gunk. And we worked through stuff. And in my physical flesh, the me, I'm like, you are making my life miserable. You're causing me to do more work. You're causing me a lot of pain. You're causing me stress that was within my family because I'm stressed outside of work because of you. Everything in me wants to make your life miserable. But is that what pleases God? No. So I have to stop and I looked and I took a moment and I made sure to tell her, I may be your supervisor and I may not can do this at a government workplace. So I'm going to tell you about my faith and I'm going to tell you how I'm going to lead you. I want reconciliation. I want improvement. I want growth. And I'm going to handle this situation out of love. There are so many things, and this is what I told her, there's so many things I can pass down to you that will make your life miserable. But I don't want to do that because that's not what God would require of me. God wants me to point you to him. So in that, I took that moment, and in that situation, I did my best to handle it in a way that pleases God. I would encourage you guys to do the same. Whenever you're in those places and you're in those moments and things just seem to fall off the wheels, I would ask you to do what you can do to please God. And Galatians 1.10 says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. And if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. In your life, you're going to go through stuff. Graduates, you're going to go to a college. You're going to go to a workplace. And you're going to be in a position to where somebody isn't going to like you. Somebody's not going to like the way you talk. They're not going to like the way you think. They're not going to like the way you do. And if you're living for Christ, that's almost a guarantee. But Paul tells us, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. And if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. When you live a life that is pleasing to God, you're going to tick off a lot of people. When you live a life that is pleasing to God, somebody's not going to like it. When you live a life pleasing to God, there are going to be people who look at you and call you weird. And sometimes it's tough because you're going to be put in places to where to live the life that pleases God, you're going to be ostracized. You're going to be put in your own little bubble. You're going to have to spend time alone. You're going to have to go through things alone. You will sometimes be in a weird place by choosing God over people. But if you will put God first in every situation, 
you'll see that it works out better for you in living a way that pleases God. And in Romans 8, 5, 8, it says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful spirit think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. And it never did obey God's laws and it never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So how do I live a life in every situation that pleases God? How do, I, how do I take every moment and make it please God? It's by crucifying yourself and your flesh every day. It's by saying, today, I'm not going to let myself be driven by my sinful desires. And I'm not talking about your sin, so to speak. I'm talking about your flesh. Because there's going to be moments you want to fall off at the handle at people. There's going to be times when you want to handle a situation your own way instead of God's way. But he says you will never live a life that pleases God as long as you handle everything in a sinful nature. As long as you let your sinful nature be what drives you, you'll never please God. For it never can and never will. But if you live your life being led by the Spirit, there you start to see a life that pleases God. So point number two in this, if you're going to leave a legacy, somebody's going to remember you. You've got to get yourself right. You've got to live that life that pleases in every situation. But point number two, in order to leave a good legacy, you've got to live a life that passes. You've got to live a life that passes. First Kings, starting in verse 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 19. We're going to read a little bit of the story of Elijah and Elisha, and we're going to walk through this, and uh, y'all just hang on with me for a minute. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elisha went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elijah returned to his oxen and slaughtered them, and he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So if we're going to talk about how to live a life that passes, you all have a family where somebody's going to remember you, right? That's what we're talking about, a legacy. I would encourage you to look at it and go, what are you leaving behind to the next person? What are you leaving behind for your son or your daughter or your wife? Are they seeing good out of you or are they seeing crap out of you? Do they see you handle responses and handle situations well and godly? Or do they see you handle responses to things in a sinful nature, in the way that you want it to do? Because I'm telling you, if I handle situations the way that Joseph wants to handle them, they don't always go well. Trash can, point in case. I can fly off the handle as good as anybody. And I can lose my cool as good as anybody. But in every situation, I've got to try to do it correctly. So I look at myself and I go, what am I passing down to my son? Or now my sons? Are they going to see a dad and are they going to remember a dad that was just rude and angry at everybody? Or are they going to see a dad that says, hey, buddy, I know I failed. 
You remember that time I yelled at your mom over the trash can incident? And you remember how I went and apologized and I tried to make it right with her? And you remember how I talked to you about it and told you I shouldn't have done it? Buddy, do you remember all the times that I fail and I tell you I fail? All the times that I don't do you right? All the times that I, I don't treat you well enough? Maybe I spank, I spank you out of anger. Oh, buddy, I apologize for those things. That's not right. Because what I'm trying to show him Failure's going to be in your life. You're going to make mistakes. You ain't going to be perfect. And God is happier whenever you learn how to deal with those mistakes with repentance and turning the other way than he is if you continue in it. Because see, most of us will look at it and we'll go, we messed up, we failed, we, we, we screwed up, and that's it. And if that's what my son sees out of me, then his entire life he will live in failure. He will think, I didn't please God, I didn't live up to God's standards, and I am worthless. But that is not the case. I want him to see, and I want you all to see, you're going to mess up, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fail. But if you will take those failures, own them, and move on from them, you'll start to live a life that pleases God. And here you see Elijah and Elisha. They're going, and, and I'm going to summarize this for you. Elisha is about to go. Elijah is about, I get them so confused. Gosh, I'm sorry. Elijah's first, Elisha is second. Elijah is about to be taken up into heaven. They're walking and they're going, and some of the prophets are telling Elijah and Elisha, they're saying, hey, don't you know that your, your prophet, your friend, he's about to be taken up into heaven? And Elisha's like, yes, I know, but let's not talk about it. And he walks a little farther, and there's some more prophets that say, hey, Elisha, don't you know your buddy Elijah's about to be taken up into heaven? And he's like, yes, I know, but let's not talk about it. So Elijah and Elisha continue to walk on until they get to the river, the Jordan River. And the very same cloak that Elijah threw over Elisha to say, come follow me and learn from me and be the follow-up of me. He takes that cloak, and he walks up to the Jordan River, and they've got to get to the other side. So he takes it and he smacks the water. And when he does, it goes, oh, open up. Yes, great. So they walk through the Jordan River on dry land. And as they're walking, they're talking about it. And they get to the place where Elisha looks at Elijah and says, hey, when you leave, I want, I want double of your spirit. I want what you got, except I want more of it. I want you to leave behind for me what you are, except I want it twice. And Elijah looks at him and says, all right, you've asked a very hard thing, but if you see me be taken up into heaven with the chariot and you see this happen, it'll be given to you, but if you don't, it won't. And Elijah says, all right, cool. So as they're walking, here comes the chariot of the fire, heaven's armies, they come and they swoop up Elijah and they take him into heaven and Elijah, Elijah watches it all happen. And he's like, oh, man, I saw it. This is cool. This is great. And in, in the passing of Elijah going into heaven, down falls what? His cloak. The very thing that he threw over him in the very beginning that signified, come and follow me. So Elisha picks it up. And he's now on the opposite side of the Jordan River, right? He's got to get back across. He's got to go to the other side. And he begins walking and he takes the cloak and as he gets back to the Jordan River, he looks at it because he's got to cross it. And this is a moment where he's got a choice to make. Do I swim across? Do I try to find a shorter route? 
Or do I have faith in the fact that I saw Elijah go up into heaven? And he said if I saw it, I would get double portion of what he had. And do I smack this water and see what happens? So Elisha takes the cloak and he smacks the water. And as soon as he does, it parts just like when Elijah did it at the very beginning. And as he's walking across on dry land, that's where we're going to pick up right here. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to what it says. The company of prophets from Jericho, you know, the ones that were telling him, hey, Elijah's about to be taken up into heaven. He's like, yeah, quit talking about it. Those same prophets from Jericho were watching. They were watching as Elisha struck the water, and they said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. He got what Elijah left. He got that double portion. He got what he left behind him. And I would look at you guys and say, what are you leaving behind to your family? Are you graduates, your family to come? What are you going to be? What are your parents, what, what, what are you going to be as a parent? Are they going to see God in you or are they going to see sin in you? Are they going to see you live a life that passes something on to them or are they going to see you live a life where they gain nothing from you besides maybe your house and a little bit of money. And you adults, what are you passing on to your kids? Me, I want to pass on a lot to Judah and Elijah. I want them to see God in me. I want them to know what it is to pray. I want them to know what it's like to have quiet time. I want them to know what it's like to read their Bible. I want them to know these things because those things changed my life. And I want them to see it. Now, I can teach Judah baseball, and I can teach Judah football, and I can teach him basketball, but guess what? Whoop-de-flip. It doesn't matter. I don't want him to have a legacy of my dad played baseball. My dad taught me how to throw a football. If that's all I'm leaving to him, I failed as a father. If that's all he sees in me, I have failed as a father. And we had a talk the other day, and I try to put this stuff into action. I, I try to tell you guys to encourage you because it's hard, but you can do it. I've got a picture in my upstairs room where my office is at home, and in this, in this picture is our state championship stuff and all the accolades that our team had and a plaque with all my accolades for what they're worth, and he looks at my state ring all the time. And this picture was laying on the floor at this certain point in time. And he walked over to it, and he laid down, and he looked at it, and he said, Dad, which one's you? And I showed him. And he said, Dad, will you teach me how to be a good baseball player like you? And I said, buddy, I will do my absolute best to teach you. I said, but I want you to know, I don't care two hills of beans if you play baseball. He looked at me. I said, I don't care if you play. I don't care if you're good. I said, I want you to be a good person. And I want you to always remember to tell people about Jesus. And if you do that, my heart will be as happy as if you won five of these. If you play baseball, if you don't play baseball, I don't care. So, buddy, I don't want you to look at me and think all I can teach you is how to play baseball. That's not what makes me proud of you. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, I hear you. Maybe his six-year-old brain got it. I don't know. Guys, think about what you're leaving for your kids. I feel like Elkmont is very sports-driven, and that's great, and that's fine. But I can promise you that doesn't matter. 
ask some of these seniors, does it matter? Their answer is going to be no. Why? Because it's over. It's gone. It doesn't matter if they hit 12 home runs, if they struck out 15 people in a game. It doesn't matter what happened in any of it. What you leave behind matters. And if all our, we've done as parents is leave behind, we want you to play sports and be good at sports, we have failed our children. Let's not be guilty of that. Psalm 20, 23 verse 6 wraps it up this way. David writes this psalm, and you know, David was a shepherd, and Psalm 23 is is known as like, you know, uh, David's psalm about shepherding and all this stuff. But Psalm 23, verse 6, lays out a very cool thing that I want y'all to see. In studying this, I realized that when in Psalm 23, 6, he says, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What David is pointing to and referring to is the fact that he sees through shepherding sheep that, that what follows them is actually a good thing. And he's saying, God, I see that your love and your goodness will follow me all the days of my life. And we look at it and we say, we need God in our forefront. We need God in front of us. And yes, that is the case. But if he's in front of us and we're consuming, what we leave behind us matters. You see, sheep, and I may have told you all this before, and if I did, hear it again. Sheep are known as the animals with the golden hooves. Do you all know why they're known as the animals with the golden hooves? It's because when they're in a pasture and they're grazing, what they're eating, say the pasture is in a certain condition, what they eat, consume, and leave behind, what they leave behind makes the pasture better than it was when they got there. So as a, as a herd of sheep go through and they eat and they graze and they leave what follows behind eating and grazing, the pasture will actually be better off that they were there than had they not been there. So when I look at that and it says, surely your love and your goodness will follow me all the days of my life. That says, if I'm going to leave a life that passes to my child, I've got to consume what God has for me. I've got to take the goodness and the love and the grace and the mercy that God has given me. And it has got to leave a trail behind me because I've got to in turn take that and give that. I've got to show my son grace. I've got to show my son love. I've got to show him mercy so that what God is follows behind me. I live a life that passes on to somebody else. Another thing you see in Scripture is a gleaning of a field. And then when there's a gleaning of a field in in scriptural times, back in the Bible times, they would actually plant the field, and when the harvest came, the harvesters would go in, and they they would harvest everything in that field except for the four corners. And it was told that they would leave the four corners for those who were foreigners in the land, who were servants, who were too poor to have their own harvest to go and pick and to go and reap. You see this in the story of Ruth where Boaz takes Ruth in and he tells her, Hey, Ruth, I have a group of men who are harvesting a field. I want you to go and you harvest with them. They won't harm you. Which is unheard of because they are to harvest the middle and leave the outsides. But they tell her, go with, go with them and harvest. And then Boaz tells his men, you reap the middle. You sow it. Like, well, you, you sow it, you grow it, you reap it. And as you begin to harvest, he says, I want you to take that harvest. And as you pick it up, I want you to take a little and drop it. 
And as you walk, I want you to take it and I want you to drop it because Ruth is going to come behind you and she's going to pick it up. They were allowed to pick up the corners and whatever was left on the ground. So Boaz said, don't keep it all for yourself. Take what's good and drop it behind for somebody else to pick it up behind you. Let Ruth pick up what you're dropping. What kind of life are you living? What are you going to drop for your kids? What are you going to drop for your wife? What are you going to drop for your husband? Because even while you're still here, you can live a legacy. Even while you're still here, you can show them Christ. You can show them the way, the correct way to live. And when you walk through situations where you, you walk through a garbage thing, you dump trash on you, and it stinks, and you're in a mess, you can still point them to love and goodness, which I didn't. But I could, right? That's an area where I have to grow in. So you seniors, you're going to have a family one day. Be thinking about now what you're going to pass to them. Because you just left high school, and most of y'all know exactly what people think about you. Most of y'all know exactly what you left behind. You know what you reaped, and you know what you dropped. And you know what people think now that you're gone. And what are they going to think of you? And if you can look back on that and you can go, I don't like that. Because I did. When I left high school, I went, I don't like what I had in high school. I want to be different. I don't like the life that I lived in high school. I want to be different from here on. You have an opportunity when you go to college or you go to a workforce. You've got fresh faces, fresh people. If what you dropped in high school behind you wasn't no count, you have a chance to make that up. You have a chance to start living a life that pleases God. You have a chance to start living a life where when it passes through you, maybe somebody behind you picks that up and goes, that's great. That's good. I'm glad I knew them because knowing them has made me better. Seeing the way they live has made me better. And point number three, if we're going to talk about starting to live a life that pleases God, and then we're going to go from pleasing God to passing on what we've learned from God in our life to those around us and those behind us, those coming up. We've got to get to that third point to where our life completely points. We've got to get to a place to where our life points directly at God. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And Matthew five fourteen through 16 says this, You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You're a light to this world, but it's not for you. You're a light to this world so that your good deeds will be shown and people will point to your heavenly Father. And they'll give him glory for the way you're living and the way you're doing. 
You see, if you start to crucify your sinful nature and you start to get to where in your daily life you're pleasing God, and then in our inner circle we're starting to leave a legacy that people, people can start to pick up behind us and go, I'm going to live like Papa did. I'm going to live like Daddy did. I'm going to do what they did. A perfect example of that, look at the Ostrisky home. There's Brother O, there's Lon, and there's Alan. All three of them I've seen spiritual growth from. I've seen the fact that Brother O led Brother Lon, and Brother Lon is now leading Alan. And who knows, Alan may Sunday lead Cooper. Hudson, no, I'm, just kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, what you leave behind matters, right? But let people see your good deeds so that they will point to your heavenly Father and glorify Him. I'm going to give you this perfect example of that. And it's going to be in Acts 6 and 7. Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. And uh, this is going to be our last little point, last thing we go through here. Acts 6 starting in verse 11 through 15. We're going to talk about a man named Stephen. Stephen was a follower of Christ, and he did a lot of good work, and he was given the ability to perform miracles and to do great things. And as he began to do this in Acts, people started getting mad at him. People didn't like it because he was living a life that pleased God, and he was starting to get to where I mean, people wanted to shut him up. They wanted to stop him. And in Acts 6, starting in verse 11, this is what we see. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law, and they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witness said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that Jesus that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. So we see Stephen is starting to do a great thing. He's starting to, starting to make a stir for Christ, and he's starting to move people towards the gospel. And everybody gets mad, and they're like, no, we can't have this, so they arrest him. And they bring Stephen in front of the crowd, and they stand there, and they got these people who are willing to lie against him. And they start saying, Stephen's lying. Stephen's saying this. Stephen's telling everybody this. Stephen's trying to make us turn from the law of Moses. Stephen's nothing but a blasphemer. He deserves to die. And what does Stephen do? He didn't do what I would do. He didn't start flying off the handle. He didn't start calling them people some what's. He didn't start saying what he wanted to to them. He minded his own and he waited. And then Stephen gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 15, everybody in the council began to stare at Stephen because his, his face began to shine like that of an angel. Amidst, amongst all the accusations against all the things, he begins to shine. And that shine in his face is the presence of God settling down on him because Stephen's about to tell them what for. Stephen's about to answer every, every accusation that they had against him. Stephen's about to point them to God. And he gets filled with the Spirit. The presence of God lands on him. And this is what he does. He begins to, for 50 verses tell them where they're wrong. 
He begins to tell them how they turned on God. He begins to tell them how they rejected God. You Pharisees, you religious teachers, all you who think you know what you're doing, here's where you miss the mark. You're trying to make up lies against me, and you're trying to kill me, but you are the ones who crucified Jesus Christ. And he picks up in verse 51, and I want you all to see this. He says, you stubborn people. You were heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one of your ancestors. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and you murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, see that the heavens are opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. You see, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He's trying to tell these people, you've got to turn to God. He's taking his life and he's pointing it straight to God, saying, look, look, why are you looking at me? My face is shining, not because I'm great. My face is shining because of the presence of God. Don't look at me. Look Look at God. And he even tells them, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I see Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the young man, at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. So you say, well, that's great. You tell us how Stephen died, whoop-de-flip. But do y'all see what happened when Stephen died? Stephen did everything that he could to point his life straight back to the cross. He did everything he could to take what was happening to him and not get furiated by it, not get mad about it, but to point the people in that place back to the cross. How do I know that? Because I take a step back to the gospel and I look at the life of Jesus and how he was brought before a council of people and they begin to lie against him just like they did Stephen. They begin to hurl insults at him just like they did Stephen. And Jesus took it just like Stephen. And then they begin to beat Jesus and they begin to take him to a place, uh, the, uh, the skull, the place called Golgotha, and they placed him on the cross. And as they lifted him up, they begin to, to hurl more insults and make things worse. And Jesus, hanging on the cross in suffocation, doing everything he can to breathe, begins to do what Stephen did, right? Stephen, it says, rendered up his spirit. As Jesus did. It's finished. And then Stephen utters the very same words that God did. He utters the same words that Jesus did. Father, forgive them. Don't charge them with their sin. What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you're going to live a legacy, 
If you're going to leave something for your family and your life is going to matter for something, you've got to get it right on the forefront. You've got to get your personal life correct and live in a way that pleases God within yourself. Once you do that, then you've got to get to a place to where you're impacting your circle. You are leaving something for those behind you. Your future children see you. Your your now children start to see you. Your husband, your wife, your friends, the rest of your family, they start to see Christ in you and they can't help but get it rubbed off on them when you're around because that's what's coming out of you. That's what's following you. When you're in a room and you leave, it's different because you were there. And if you're starting to do that and you've got those two things right, then you look to those around you and you start pointing them back to Christ in every situation and in every way, just as Stephen did when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Guys, you're about to go into a very sinful world. High school protected you for a little bit, but you're about to walk into a rude awakening. You're going to hit a workforce where these men and women don't care. They will hate you for loving Christ. And you think I'm joking? I know. They will hate you for the decisions you make. They will hate you for the way you talk. They will hate you if you try to be different. But I encourage you, don't give up because it's not about them. If you're in the position of caring about people, you can't be a servant of Christ. If you want to please people, Christianity is not for you. Because this world's going to hate you. So I'm going to give you a chance. And here in a second, Will's going to sing. I want you to know if you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we have every opportunity and every ability to show you that, teach you that, and to walk you through that step. Because in order to leave a legacy with your family, in order to leave a legacy at your school, whatever it is that you're facing, in order to do that, you've got to start with Christ first. You can't do it on your own. Jesus was the one in whom God said, I am well pleased. Very well pleased. Without him, you can't please the Father. So here in a second, I'm going to pray. If you have something going on, you need prayer, this altar's open, your seat's open. It doesn't matter. You can do business with God wherever you are, whenever you want to, and however you want to because it's a heart issue, right? It's not about making a move to the front of the church to pray. If you want to, I'm here. We'll pray with you. If you need to talk to me, I'm here. Alan's here. Anybody on the staff is here. We would love to talk to you. If you need to get yourself in the right position to leave a legacy for your family, we would love to start that journey with you. So I'm going to pray. Will's going to sing, and we'll ask you to stand here in the See, I'll just bow your heads. God, we just come before you today, and we ask that you do what you need to do. God, have your will and way in this place. Move your spirit across this room however you would like. Father, that this is your time. If there's someone who needs you, God, I pray that you reach them. If there's someone who needs to change and wants to start a new life with Christ, I pray that you reach them, God. I pray that you convict as the Holy Spirit can and as only the Holy Spirit does, God. We just pray that you move in this place. I've delivered the message the way that you presented it to me. And God, at this point, it's all up to you. So I just pray that you move as you see fit. Touch every heart that needs touch. We just ask all this in Jesus' name.